ESPN Radio. Things are ugly for Chris Canty's Lakers, and they just continue to get uglier. I didn't even know that was possible. This is ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Canty are listening to us on the ESPN app, Series XM Channel 80, and on ESPN+. Plus. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can tweet to us at ChrisCanty99, at AmberW790. You can join the conversation on the Canty call in line at one say espn ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so that you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. So last night, the Houston Rockets beat the Los Angeles Lakers 139 to 130 to talk about this game and plenty more happening around the NBA. We turn to Ryan Holland, Houston Rockets TV analyst. And Ryan, how surprised were you at the at the end of regulation that LeBron passes up the game-winning shot and dishes it out to Melo? It didn't surprise me at all. I, I didn't I didn't think that his feet were ready to score at that time. And uh the two players, it was Jalen Green. And uh, and um, why am I drawing a blank? But it, it, anyway, there were two defenders there, and the Rocket defenders got caught in between a switch, or not switching, and then you know, two or three guys collapsed to LeBron, maybe maybe two, and you know he hit a wide open Carmelo Anthony. It it, it just looked like at the end of the day, beyond LeBron, there was a lot of indecision, and at end of games. I think maybe this is one scrutiny of LeBron. You never really want to work on the wing or the side of the floor because now the defense can load up on you and then you can help. You always want to take those shots from the middle of the floor. So when LeBron drove baseline, it was pretty tough for him to get a look off. And I think that's what ended up happening. But he got surprised. He got he got the switch and it, it lingered on. But beyond that, there was, a, there was just the Lakers seem like a, a team that has a lot of indecision. And, uh, you know, I can't say much. Our young guys with the Rockets have that, too. Uh, but I think that's what we saw. And it just carried on, you know, towards the end of the game. Ryan, you know, I'm a Lakers fan, so it's hard for me to be objective in what I'm watching. I'm too close to it. But I know you keep your, your eyes and ears uh, to the NBA. And I got to ask you, when you take the temperature of this organization, what stands out to you the most about where the Lakers are at right now? Well, Here's the reality, Chris. You, you've been, we've been, both been in locker rooms before, and uh, the writing was on the wall that Russell Westbrook was supposed to be traded and moved. And when he wasn't moved and he came into that locker room, you saw this losing streak kind of coming or the frustrations of the, of the locker room coming because now you have the guy coming back that, you know, kind of planned on not being there. And you look like the, you know, Los Angeles Lakers had essentially moved forward. Uh, without Russell Westbrook, and might I add, he was balling last night. You know, he he played extremely well. But once that happened, that chemistry, that energy between he and LeBron isn't there. And you know, without Anthony Davis on the floor, those two need to be able to work together. And essentially, you know, from what we've seen this season, this was our fourth time uh, seeing the Lakers up close and in person. You know, he and Westbrook are just on two different pages. You know, Russ is used to having his own team and having the ball in his hands and distributing. So it's kind of like Russell do his thing and then LeBron to do his thing. And as a team, they do not look on the same page right now. But what really stands out is the defensive end of the floor. And, guys, if you if you think about LeBron-led teams that have had a lot of success, the defense was always intact. You're going to hit a, a, a lull where you won't be able to score, but the defense wins out. 
the Lakers are very good on the offensive end of the floor. It's the defense where they're afraid. And then they get in points where they're not sure who's going to take over offensively. But on the offensive end, they're scoring more than enough points. They're just not getting stops. And there's a lot of confusion from that side. And that's where a lot of the frustration is coming from because they're just, they're just, I mean, they're just easy buckets that they're giving up. Yeah, it looks, it looks like open gym for the opposing teams when they got the ball on the offensive end. But uh, I got to ask you this, Ryan, just as a follow-up, assuming that this Lakers season ends with an early exit from the postseason, what happens with this team? What does it look like this offseason? What are the moves that Rob Polenka and this organization need to make in order to get this program back to the point where they can be competitive? Well, I, I think it's safe to assume that you know, the Russell Westbrook experiment didn't work. And in the minds, you know, Russell Westbrook on paper was a good fit because the Lakers needed energy. And you looked at Russ when LeBron needed to take rest or AD needed to take take rest at a a guy alone that could get you, you know, at least a 500 record without the rest of the starters in the lineup. And unfortunately, you know, that hadn't been the case. You looked at a guy when LeBron needed rest that could kind of carry the unit and, you know, Russell Westbrook, we can't put too much salt on his name. He, I mean, he's, he's Mr. Triple-Double, okay? He's led teams to playoffs. He, he's done that, but it's not working out, and his game hasn't matured well, and it's not necessarily working in, in L.A., so I think they're going to have to find a way uh, to, to move on from that situation. I think the Lakers have voiced that uh, themselves, and, and I think even bigger than that, dude, Anthony Davis has, has to get healthy, and he's got to be able to play the majority of the season. That's the one piece that if you really watch the Lakers play – they can't play without Anthony Davis, you know, shares everything up for them. They still have the offensive attack, the offense intact. And with his athleticism, he kind of clean cleans up all your mistakes on the defensive end of the floor. So Anthony Davis is first primary. Secondary, it looks like they're going to have to move on from Russell Westbrook. And then you ask, hey, what are you going to get in return uh, moving forward without that? And then they've got to find a way to also, you know, a lot of people don't talk about uh, Kendrick Nunn and Taylor Horton Tucker. Those guys, that was supposed to be the upgrade to Caruso and KCP, who, who I, I don't think there's <laughs> enough respect being put on those two guys' names. Those yeah. were supposed to be the upgrade, and they haven't been healthy enough to be in the lineup. And that's, that's what's hurting the Lakers. It's not the necessarily the upper. Obviously, Anthony Davis is hurting, but it's that middle-class player they're not, that they're not having, and those were the guys that were going to be relied on. And, and you look back and you appreciate the dirty work that those two were doing on the defensive end of the floor for Frank Vogel. Ryan Hollins, Houston Rockets TV analyst on with us. So let's move on to a matchup tonight because the Nets are at the 76ers. It's a big one for both teams, but Ryan, who needs this game more? Ultimately, I, I think at the end of the day, Philly has to show up in a big way. You, you know, the Nets have kind of showed that Kevin Durant is so talented that they kind of limp through the regular season you know, they'll show up in big games and they'll tank certain games or they'll go missing. You know, they're, they're, they're up and down. But you, you got to show, and I believe it's very important to show that the James Harden experiment is going to work. I think you have to show it's, it, it, it wasn't me, it was you. <laughs> you know, that type of mentality. And I think that James Harden, you know, needs to, needs to grow, grow in confidence because, you know, as a tandem with him and Joel Embiid, you know, I, I don't think all those question marks have been answered. And right now, it, it's looking like arguably the best tandem in the league, but they got to grow in confidence, and they have to become a well-gelled unit before they hit the playoffs. So, you know, I think by a landslide, Philadelphia is going to need this game a lot more. 
and it, it looks like more of a cohesive unit. But those two together could be scary because, in my opinion, Joel Embiid is the MVP of the NBA, man. The way that that boy's been playing, seeing him up close and personal, he just he's moving different, man. Hey, Chris, you know when you get a big fella that can move his feet like he a guard? <laughs> it's different, oh, yeah. Man. He's oh yeah, out there, man. <laughs> oh yeah, and that's why Kevin Durant said that you know he was right when Joel Embiid compared himself to a guy that can transform from Hakeem Olajuwon to Shaq to Kobe. Like that—that's that's the skill set that Joel Embiid has had on display this season. But Ryan, I want to ask you this: and since we're talking about the game that everybody has been anticipating for a month since the Harden Simmons trade went down. Which one of these teams has a better chance of making it to the NBA Finals if all of their players are 100%? The Nets. There's no hesitation the Nets. At the end of the day, the day, the trade was good for both sides. But the key piece that the Nets needed, the two key pieces they needed, they needed one to get younger. Two, they need to show up their front line. To the unfortunate season-ending injury of Joe Harris, you get Seth Curry. And those guys healthy, it's a wrap. Like Kevin Durant shows you by himself, he's a size 17 away from going to the NBA Finals and, and you know potentially winning it all without without a healthy squad and his running mates at 100 percent or even in the game. The Nets got so much better, and you know it's just a reality. You, you guys, we've talked about about it for a long time. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons should have broken up two three years ago. You know what I'm saying? Like. When your best asset, your two players' best asset is in the paint and they kind of conflict, so now they're bumping into each other, it's, at some point you knew the friction was there. It was not going to work from a basketball standpoint, okay? Now you look at the Nets and Ben Simmons, if he's getting in the paint, he's defending, he's guarding one through five, he's switchable, that's dangerous because you could get the best out of Ben Simmons and you're not asking for any type of workload from Ben Simmons. You're saying, Ben... Only thing we're going to ask of you is you be yourself and you make free throws, or at least you, you shoot 50% from the line, bro, and you be yourself, and we're going we gonna to bring the best home. You know, so I, I think the Nets, by, by a landslide, you know, are, are the favorites if, they're, if everyone's 100% healthy. And I think, you know, Chris, a lot of people have talked about this. I think the fact that Kyrie Irving, everybody was going crazy on Kyrie Irving, but I think the, the blessing in the skies, which is crazy, is that Kyrie's probably as healthy as he's been in years because he did not play the home games, because he did not play home games, and and he did sit out, and I think he had a chance to sit and train. And if you think about it, I'm interested interested to see the games that he's played. You know, Kyrie seems to always miss time, but if you have him healthy when you need him most, and we saw that 50 piece nugget he dropped the other the other mm-hmm. day. Shout out to my brother Kendrick Perkins, he's still that dude, <laughs> you know. And I play with Kyrie. It it is dangerous when he's motivated. And if that unit can get healthy at the right time, man. But always a big if that those guys will be out there together. We're not going to get Ben Simmons tonight, but tonight should still be a good one in Philadelphia at 730. Ryan Hollins, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, no, appreciate you guys. Keep up the good work. Y'all, y'all sounded amazing, man. Don't, don't turn it off now. Keep it up now. <laughs> We will do our best Houston Rockets TV analyst, of course, Ryan Hollins. We'll put a bow on yet another crazy day of breaking news around the sports world. That is next. This is ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Chris Canty. 
ESPN Radio. Coming down the stretch here on ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Chris Canty. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. We are taking you up to coverage of the ACC tournament. There's your in, Chris Canty. I mentioned the ACC tournament. Go ahead. Let's go, Wahoos. Let's go. Oldest rivalry in the South. We're taking on the Carolina Tar Heels. Let's go, Wahoos. Let's go. Get that dub. Let's go three and out. Sometimes it's the worst. Sometimes it's the best. Either way, we'll get you straight with everything you need to know. This is Three and Out. We have had an action-packed show today. Big shout out to all the guests who have joined us. Of course, we had major breaking news out of Major League Baseball. Michael Grady joined us. Jesse Rogers joined us. June Lee joined us. And Ryan Hollins joined us. Plus Aaron Dolan with all of her betting analysis. So huge shout out to everybody who was able to hop on with us. Some of those very last minute gets in Jesse Rogers and June Lee. Because of course, Chris Canty, the huge news today is that baseball is back. Baby, the MLB and the MLBPA, they have reached a deal on a new CBA. It has to be ratified by both sides. That seems like a formality. Basically, this boils down to Major League Baseball free agency tonight. It can start, so things are about to get wild, and players can report tomorrow to spring training. And it looks like we're going to get all 162. Your thoughts on baseball being back? Usually you don't have a win-win scenario when it comes to collective bargaining agreement negotiations. I've been a part of that, a part of the union when you're going through something like that. It's a tough spot for players to be in, but Tony Clark and the MLBPA held strong. They didn't fake, they didn't cave into the threats from the owners that they were going to cancel games and that they weren't going to get a full 162 in. And ultimately, they were able to get some significant gains in this new CBA. You're talking about minimum salary for players going up from around $575,000 to $700,000. And then players that are pre-arbitration, guys that are in their first three or four years, you're talking about them being able to have a pre-arbitration bonus pool with $50 million that those guys are going to have access to depending on their production. So outstanding gets for the Players Association and huge gains when it comes to raising the competitive balance tax, also known as the luxury tax threshold. I got to look at this as a win for the players. The last CBA negotiation, the players felt like they gave too much back to the owners. It feels like they gained some more ground with this new labor agreement. Yeah, when June Lee was on with us, he said that ultimately the owners win because that's just how it goes. And frankly, that is how it goes, right? Chris, in these labor negotiations, typically when you have billionaires and the negotiating with millionaires, you're still the billionaires are, you know, have more of the power. They have more of the control in that sport and often they win. But I think a huge credit goes to the players here because the union really did hold together and they weren't, they didn't flinch in the face of Manfred's essential threats, what amounted to be threats because he did actually cancel games, theoretically speaking, but now suddenly they're all getting made up. So really, it just amounts to threats of games being canceled and the players didn't flinch. They knew that they could still get the 162 in and that's exactly what we are all going to get. So finally, the national nightmare for the baseball fan is over. Baseball is back after 99 days of a lockout. 
Your Dallas Cowboys are in the news here, Chris Canty, because they are apparently considering offers, or at least they are in talks, for Lyle Collins. Does it surprise you to under to learn that they would be willing to trade the O-lineman? He's only 28 years old. He has played his entire career in Dallas, but he is set to count $15.25 million against the Cowboys' salary cap this season. Yeah, I'm surprised that they're considering trading him because that's the area of this team that the Dallas Cowboys have to focus on this offseason. If you go back to their wild-card loss to the San Francisco 49ers, their offensive line was the group that let them down, Amber. I mean, you're talking about them giving up five sacks to Joey, I mean, to Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead and company, and that's just not something that can happen moving forward. You already paid Dak Prescott $40 million a year on a new contract. You bought the house. Now it's time to get the homeowner's insurance, and that is having a really good offensive line in front of your quarterback. That's been the staple for the Dallas Cowboys over the course of the last decade, but that group up front is starting to lose a little steam. They're getting a little a little long in the tooth when it comes to um, the tread on their tires. So this is the opportunity, this is the offseason, that they need to improve that group but it sounds like they're hustling backwards when you talk about trading a 28-year-old tackle in Lyle Collins. And finally here, U.S. Rep Colin Allred said that he's working with the State Department to secure the release of WNBA star Brittany Griner from Russia. We are up against the clock. But this is a story, Chris, that we haven't gotten to speak much about because there's not much developments coming out of Russia. A really, really scary situation for Brittany Griner, who is being detained over there while there is no diplomatic presence from the U.S. over in Russia right now. And, of course, we know the situation that's happening with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. She was detained back in January. Coming up next, the ACC Tournament quarterfinals. This has been ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Chris Canty.